Father, this is your time. I am so grateful that you have promised in Psalms 107, verse 20, that you sent your word and you would heal us and deliver us from our destructions. We're so delighted to be your children, have these moments together. We're asking for your blessing upon this time, your angels to fill this room, and your spirit to labor with our hearts, including mine, that we might continue to grow in grace and in the victorious knowledge of Jesus Christ, our Lord. In his name we pray, amen. All right. Here's where God wants us to be. Come, my people, enter thou into thy chambers and shut your doors about you. Hide yourself, as it were, for a little moment until the indignation be overpassed. This is where God wants to take us. This is where he wants to keep us. Here is where the battle is at. I want you to understand this before I, I actually get into the how-tos. But everything in this experience here on earth is centered around knowing God as he really is. John 17, 3, and this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. Personally experiencing eternal life is based upon that. There are two awesome destiny-deciding gifts that God has given us. He's given us the power of choice, the freedom to choose and decide, and the power of faith, the gift of faith. Power of choice, of course, uh, Joshua communicating to the Israelites, choose you this day whom you will serve, an incredible gift. Everybody has total freedom to exercise that. Power of choice, each human being is given the freedom of choice. It is his to decide whether he will stand under the black banner of rebellion or under the bloodstained banner of Prince Emmanuel. The two big choices. Every human being possessed of reason has power to choose the right. In every experience of life, how many experiences? Every experience of life. God's word to us is choose you this day whom you will serve. Everyone may place his will on the side of the will of God may choose to obey him, and by thus linking himself with divine agencies, he may stand where nothing can force him to do evil. Amen? Here's faith. Faith is actually the ability, the ability to trust someone or something that you cannot verify with your senses. Can't touch it, can't taste it, can't feel it, can't even see it. Faith is the ability. God has given every man and woman a measure of faith. Romans 12, verse 3 tells us that. Atheists have a measure of faith. Otherwise, they could never believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Are you following? But what people choose to do with their faith is their choice. Notice this. Faith is the gift of God, but the power to exercise it is ours. Just like a motorized vehicle, I, I use this illustration, you know, you can have the most beautiful car, but if you don't put the right fuel in, the car sits dead. You've got to have fuel. It is exactly the same thing for faith and power of choice to work. They've got to have fuel. And this is so vital, centered around knowing that eternal life is based upon knowing God. The fuel for power of choice and faith to function in the spiritual realm is information. Information about God's character. Who he is, what he's really like. Remember John 17, 3. 
It's all about knowing God. Here's what we're up against. The enemy, Satan and his angels, are working 24-7 to offer humanity false information about God's ways, God's character. He's a liar, a murderer from the very beginning. And then, of course, we've got Jesus. That's the reason Jesus came. So many people are focused on the cross. Praise God for the cross. Amen? But that's just part of it. His entire life before the cross was a picture of God the Father. That's what he came to reveal to us. And the cross was the epitome of God's character of love. Are you following? This is so vital. And remember what Jesus told um, Philip? Philip was wondering uh, about God the Father. And Jesus says, have I been with you for so long and you don't realize? He that has seen me has seen the Father. This is so important. Everyone, here we go, freedom of choice. Everyone would decide They've got to decide what information about God's character they're actually going to put their faith in that they're going to trust. Our privilege and call as Christ ministers, and I think this is why ASI is such an awesome and exciting thing, is simply because our call, Jesus' prayer just before he was crucified, praying for his disciples. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so I also sent them into the world. Another one, our privilege, Matthew 5, 16, let your light so shine. By the way, the light of your life, not only your words, but your responses to life. Let your life so shine before men that they may, what? See your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Here's our call. Last rays of merciful light. The last message of mercy to be given into, to the world is a revelation of his character of love. The children of God are to manifest his glory in their own life and, and character. They are to reveal what the grace of God has done for them. I say, yes, this is where it's at. When, big question, leading now into triumph in trial, when does the loving and powerful character of Christ shine the brightest? It should shine all the time, should it not? However, in its beauty and luster, people don't perk up until they see a Christian in trial and they see that the response of a living Christian is different. There it is, Isaiah 60. Arise and shine, for thy light is come, and the glory, the character of the Lord, is risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, gross darkness the people. I think we're kind of in that, don't you think? But the Lord shall arise upon who? Upon you. And what an awesome thing it is to be in a position where he can actually arise upon you. His glory, his character shall be seen upon you, and the Gentiles shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of thy rising. Awesome. What kind of dark conditions do Christians have the privilege of revealing God's character of love? Look at this. I think this is why Paul wrote it, particularly as we move closer to Christ's return. Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword, Killed all the day long, we're accounted as sheep for the slaughter. That used to bother me a lot, but it's talking about the wicked. We're accounted as sheep for the slaughter. That's all. For whose glory? For God's sake. And in all these things, we're more than conquerors through him that loved us. 
Here is when God's glory shines and affects mostly the Gentiles. Here's what we're facing. Jeremiah 30, Jacob's trouble. The day is great, so that none like it. It's even the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. For then shall be great tribulation, such as not since the beginning of the world to this time, nor even, nor ever shall be. And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect, those days shall be shortened. Daniel 12, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to the same time. And at that time, thy people shall be delivered. I say, amen. Here it is, great controversy, 622. The time of trouble such as never was soon to open upon us. It is often the case that trouble is greater in anticipation than in reality. But this is not true of the crises before us. The most vivid presentation cannot reach the magnitude of the ordeal. In that time of trial, every soul must stand for who? Himself. Here's the good news. Those who are prepared will come out on the winning side. God will make sure of that. And second of all, it's the last trial the people of God will ever have to experience for the rest of eternity. And I say, amen. I want to be ready for that, amen? amen. This is building a case, you understand. How important is this preparation for this time? Those who delay a preparation for the day of God cannot obtain it in the time of trouble or any subsequent time. The case of all such is hopeless. It is extremely vital for God's people to be preparing. The closer we come to these difficult times, the greater the trouble people will face. Luke 21, men's hearts feeling them for fear and looking after those things which are coming on the earth for the powers of heaven shall be shaken. By the way, what do we call that? What's the term we call it when someone is looking after those things which are coming? When they're looking into the future and they're... And they're sure. Anticipation, they're anticipating. When someone's anticipating in a never negative way, we call it what? Worry. Anxiety and worry. At the Black Hills Health and Education Center, I should just mention this, um, when Pat, Patsy and I first started working there uh, about eight years ago, um, people were just coming, it was kind of a vacation, you know, to tune up the body. But we have just seen a steady increase in mental and spiritual struggles. People worrying, anxious, and they're getting physically sick over it. Dear ones, understand and know that the closer we get to Christ's return, it's not going to get better, it's going to get worse, excuse the English. And we are in the forefront, the head, not the tail, in actually ministering to people in all three dimensions of their nature and leading them into an exciting, healing, rejoicing experience with the master where they no longer are affected by what's happening in the world, even though they're in it. Who's our example? And here's what God is calling us to, even with this challenging scenario. In everything, what? Give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Awesome. 
Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in vines, the labor of the olives shall fail. Got a little ring here. I'm just trying to find a spot where it doesn't rain anymore. The field shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold. There shall be no herd in the stalls, and Walmart will be shut down. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. I'm grateful for those promises. I love this. Heavenly Places 123. The children of God may rejoice. In how many things? How many times? When troubles and difficulties come, believing in the wise providence of God, you may what? You need not wait for a happy flight of feeling. But by faith, you may what? Lay hold of the promises and lift up a hymn of thanksgiving to God, even in the midst of pure hell. Awesome. What type of preparational experience must the followers of Christ have in order to rejoicingly remain under the protecting care of God and triumph in trial? We want to hit on that now. I've built a case, now let's hit on it. Great controversy. The season of distress and anguish before us will require a faith that can endure weariness, delay, and hunger, a faith that will not faint, though severely tried. Jesus spoke of it. When the Son of Man comes, shall he find faith? Absolutely, he will. And it's going to be the people who've actually allowed him to instill his faith in their lives. The Lord's calling us to earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered to the saints. Review and Herald, we must realize that we are co-workers with Christ and we each must have the faith which will lay hold upon omnipotent power, a faith that cannot be repulsed or baffled by the obstacles that Satan may oppose. That type of victorious faith experience to triumph in tragedy, triumph in trial, calls for personally learning to what? Live in the invisible. This is the call of the day to actually experience living in the invisible, no longer focusing the attention on outside circumstances and, and the appearance of things that are happening in your life. Christ triumphant, we shall be brought into straight places, but we do not want to wait until then before we learn to trust and obey. Now, just now, is our day of opportunity and privilege when the light of truth is shining upon us. We are to learn the lesson. Now's the time. What's involved in learning to live in the invisible? Well, here we go. The mind must be what? The mind must be trained through daily tests to habits of fidelity to a sense of the claims of right and duty above the inclination, above inclination and pleasure, minds thus trained do not waver between right and wrong. But as soon as matters come before them, they discern at once that principle is involved and they instinctively choose the right. Did you get that? Instinctively choose the right. No wavering, just wow, natural. Without debating long debating the matter. They are loyal because they have what? 
they have trained themselves to habits of faithfulness and truth. This is the call of the day. Living in the invisible means learning to habitually trust God's word. When circumstances say it's impossible to do so. It's easy to trust God's word when everything's going your way. But what happens when the trial hits and it looks like to, to trust God's word and obey God's word means you're going to lose something that's valuable to you. You're going to lose a hundred dollars. You're going to lose a, a car. You're going to lose Abraham and Sarah. I love this. 90 years old. 90-year-old female, 100-year-old male. Come on, give me a break. Yet they chose. Even though they laughed, they chose to trust. Abraham staggered not at the promise through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being what? Fully persuaded that what God had promised, he was able also to perform. Living in the invisible means learning to habitually trust God regardless of what our senses are communicating. Syrian army, king of Syria, just bugged because every time he went to attack Israel, they weren't there. And he talked to his advisors and asked them what the deal was, who, who the uh, traitor was in their camp. And the advisor says, no traitor in the camp. Uh-uh. Uh, Israel's got this guy by the name of Elijah. <laughs> and he's telling him, what the plans are. So, Syrian king, going to go after Elijah, catches, catches him at Dothan, surrounds Syrian army surrounding Elijah and his servant, and his servant's quaking in his shoes or boots or whatever, sandals, whatever he's wearing. Elijah says this, fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. Oh God, open my eyes. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. Wow. wow. Trusting God habitually. Living in the invisible means learning to habitually walk by faith in God's love and mercy, in repentance and reformation, even when you've made terrible mistakes. Do I have to say much about David and Bathsheba? Terrible mistake. And yet David's prayer, part of it in Psalms 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies, Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. And uphold me with thy free spirit. Then it says, then I will teach transgressors thy ways. Living in the invisible means learning to habitually remain faithful to God's will, even when he allows us to experience physical infirmity. Job. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. I've never been covered with sores that are full of pus, and I was in such misery that all I could do is sit and scrape. Never been there. Hope I never am. Job was, though 
he slay me, that will I trust him. The Apostle Paul begged God three times, please take this away from me. God said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake, for when I'm weak, then I'm strong. This is so vital. You know, um, it's so interesting um, at the Black Hills, how many people that Patsy and I have visited with who don't think God's working for them unless they get better physically. And they're basing their walk with Christ on how well they're feeling. Is that dangerous or is that a good thing? It's dangerous. It's dangerous. Living in the invisible, learning to live in the invisible means to actually trust God even in your physical weakness. That doesn't mean you're not doing everything you can to take care of yourself. No, 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 no. But it means leaving the results in whose hands? God's hands. I'm going to be faithful regardless of the outcome. Living in the invisible. I hope this is sinking in. Living in the invisible means learning to habitually choose by faith to remain true to God when to all outward appearances our faithfulness will bring undesirable and even deadly results. Fiery furnace, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel in the lion's den, faithfulness. We will not, we will not serve your gods. Go ahead and throw us in. To live in the invisible quite often means may seem as if we must live in the impossible. But heaven's reality speaks, Ah, Lord God, behold, you have made the heaven and the earth by thy great power and stretched out arm, and there's nothing too hard for you. The issue is not with God. The issue is with us, growing and developing a faith relationship with Christ where we'll trust him even when it appears that all is lost. Heaven's reality speaks again, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. The Apostle Paul. When everything appears impossible, our mighty God promises. I love this promise. I hope they use this in the prayer room. And I will bring the blind by a way that they knew not. I will lead them in paths that they've not known. I will make darkness light before them and crooked things straight. These things will I do unto them and what? Not forsake them. That's your promise. It's your promise. Active, faith-developing Christian growth must not depend upon the outward appearance of circumstances, but upon the unseen realities revealed through God's word. That's why it's called living in the invisible. 2 Corinthians 4.18, while we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen at Kmart and Walmart down the interstate, in the hospital. They're temporary, but the things that are not seen, the eternal realities of God's word, they are eternal. So here we go. We've got to be willing to learn to habitually walk by faith, not by sight. That's what we're talking about here. No longer trusting our senses, but rather trusting the mighty God and what he says about the situation we're facing. 
What faith-developing realities must someone come to understand and habitually trust in order to live in the invisible, fearlessly grasping the hand of God and remaining triumphantly true to the Lord's will and to their heaven-ordained post of duty? Faith-developing reality number one. This has got to be solidified in our lives. Regardless of circumstances, the truths, commands, and promises of God's word are an infallibly reliable guide in meeting my specific needs in any life situation that's encountered. There it is. All scripture, given by inspiration of God, profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction in righteousness. By the way, doctrine, what doctrine is important to us if eternal life is based upon knowing God? Doctrine about God. That's what Jesus came, the teaching about God, the way God really is. For reproof, tell, the Bible tells me what's wrong. For correction, the Bible tells me what's right. For instruction in righteousness, the Bible teaches me how to get right and stay right with God. That the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto how many good works, friends? All good works. Every single one of them. Thy word is true from the beginning and every one of thy righteous judgments. God's way of seeing things. God's call. Every one of them. Enduring forever. Christ's teaching. Education, page 81. Christ's teaching, like his sympathies, embrace the world. Never can there be a circumstance of life, a crisis in human experience, which has not been anticipated in his teaching and for which its principles have not a lesson. The prince of teachers, his words will be found a guide to his co-workers till the end of time. What do you say? The reason I uh, put this up uh, here is because the counseling world is a multi-billion dollar business. Um, there are some 500 different modes out there now being taught, being sold to the public, uh, modes of healing the broken mind, the broken heart, with over 10,000 different techniques that are being used to communicate these concepts, ideas. People are spending megabucks to get from a human being what they can get from God through his word. There it is. Whatsoever things were written aforetime, God's word, were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort from where? The scriptures might have what? Hope. That's a great word, isn't it? When someone has got hope, it's amazing what they can endure. And it all comes from God's word, free of charge. If a person is willing to connect through a love affair with Jesus Christ. Amen? Reality number two. Regardless of circumstances, no matter what I'm experiencing, my value in God's sight is everlasting and unchangeable. This is so incredibly important. Yea, I have loved you with an everlasting love, therefore with loving kindness have I drawn you. Jeremiah 31.3. I can, I can I, I attest, and I think Patsy can agree with me. I would say that over 95% of the individuals that we work with at the Black Hills Health and Education Center that Patsy and I have the privilege of uh, communicating with and working with, 95% or better, have never accepted the fact by faith where they own it that they are 
as valuable, listen close, as valuable as the life of the Son of God. John 3.16, for God so loved the world, you and me, that he, what? Gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Let me ask you a question. When you go to Walmart or any of those marts and you're looking for a pair of shoes, are you willing to pay for a pair of shoes that you don't think is at least as valuable as the amount you're exchanging for them? Absolutely not. I go there and I'll look for a pair of shoes and I will not pay 50 bucks or 20 bucks or what. I'll not pay it out unless I believe in my heart that that pair of shoes is at least as valuable as uh, the bucks that I'm exchanging for it. Are you following? John 3.16 says that you and I are as valuable to God, as valuable as the very life of his son. Listen, Jesus gave up eternity. He was willing to give up eternity so that you could have life. Are you following? What do you think he was doing when he said, Lama, Lama, Sabachthani, Eli, Eli, Lama, Sabachthani, my God, my God, why art thou forsaken me? Why do you think he said that? He said that because he was actually in an experience where he could not sense the Father's presence, he wasn't aware of anything, and he had no assurance that he would come out of the cross on the other side and live again. I've got the spirit prophecy statements to prove that. That's how valuable you are. This is so, uh, sorry for rolling on that, but there are so many. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? I'm persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, height, depth, or any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you realize what a foundation that is? We spend so much of our energy horizontally trying to get our value from human relationships. When this one here, the stronger this becomes, the more we can use our energies to actually communicate the character of God to others rather than try and get them to like us. Thoughts from the Mount of Blessing. The blessed Savior longs to clasp our hands, to have us look to him in simple faith, permitting him to guide us. His heart is open to our griefs, our sorrows, our trials. He has left us with an everlasting love. And with loving kindness compassed us about. We may keep the heart stayed upon him and meditate upon his loving kindness all the day. He will lift the soul above the daily sorrow and perplexity into a realm of what? Peace. Man, that I may know him. Study day and night the character of Christ. It, has, it was his tender compassion, his inexpressible, unparalleled love for your soul that led him to endure all the shame, the revilings, the abuse, the misapprehensions of, the, of earth. You know what blows me out of the mind? I hope you don't mind me rolling here just a little bit. He knew what he was going to go through before he left heaven. He knew it all. Every pain, every rejection, every sorrow, he knew it all. He was a man of the sorrows, acquainted with grief before he came. He knew it all, and he came anyway. For who? Amen. Me? Yeah, you? 
Faith developing reality number three. Regardless of circumstances, no matter what God allows me to experience, he has nothing but my best interests in mind. Do you remember, um, oh, here we go. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. What a solid foundation this is when someone grasps and says, you know, God, no matter what, no matter how difficult things look, your thoughts towards me are thoughts of peace and not of evil. Wow. Thoughts from an amount of blessing. We also need to learn that trials mean what? Whew. When God brings us into trial, he has a purpose to accomplish for our what? Whew. Wow. But when we really believe that God loves us, there it is again, and means to do us good, we shall cease to worry about the future. We shall trust God as a child, trust his loving parent. Then our troubles and torments will disappear, for our will is swallowed up in the will of God. I love it. This is so hot. Faith-developing reality number four. Absolutely nothing can touch me except with that which the Lord permits. Whew. How much? Jesus, standing before Pilate, just before he's committed to be crucified. Pilate's in his face like a drill sergeant. Don't you know I've got power to crucify you? I've got power to set you free? Jesus responds. You can have no power against me except that which is given to you from above. Amen? As it was with Jesus, so it is with us. This is a reality that must be just seared into our mind. He who is imbued with the Spirit of Christ abides in Christ. The blow that is aimed at him falls upon the Savior who surrounds him with his presence. Whatever comes to him comes from Christ. He has no need to resist evil for Christ is his defense. Nothing can touch him except by our Lord's permission. All our sufferings and sorrows, all our temptations and trials, all our sadness and griefs, all our persecutions and privations, in short, all things work together for our good. All experiences and circumstances are God's workmen whereby good is brought to us. Let me ask you, how much can bother a person if they believe this habitually? You understand, um, I'm growing too. I have not arrived, but I am banking on this stuff. Now I've got a dilemma. Standing before the bedside of a lady dying of cancer, in excruciating pain, faithful followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, and she dies, suffering, excruciating pain. And her children come and say, Pastor, how can you say, my mother, here it is, by the way, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Pastor, my mother wasn't delivered from her cancer or pain. Oh, yes, she was. She was. Paradigm shift. What's the deliverance that God always offers? Here it is. There is no temptation taken you but such as is common to man, but God is faithful who will not allow you Suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Notice the way of escape. The ability to what? Bear it. And that's faith developing reality number five. When God allows me to experience something that threatens my sense of well-being, 
The deliverance he provides is often not deliverance from the trial, but the strength of his grace and the necessary means to remain faithful to his will through the trial. Everybody following? Not deliverance from the trial. Did God... No, I'm not going to go there. Not deliverance from the trial, but faithfulness. Deliverance is the ability, the grace, to remain faithful, obedient to God's will through the trial, regardless of the outcome. Those who surrender their lives to his guidance and to his service will never be placed in a position for which he has not made provision. Whatever our situation, if we are doers of his word, we have a guide to direct our way. Whatever our perplexity, we have a sure counselor. Whatever our sorrow, bereavement, or loneliness, we have a sympathizing friend. I am so grateful for that. Regardless of what you and I are experiencing, by the way, how many of us are going to experience trials before Jesus comes? Raise your hand. Amen. Just want to make sure you are still awake with your eyes closed. <laughs> but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, works for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. By the way, this inner man... Thought life. What's going on in your thinking right now? The inward man. While we look not in our thinking, we're not focusing our attention on outward appearances. We're focusing on what God says about the situation, the things that are not seen. The things which are seen are temporary. The things which are not seen are eternal. With this mindset, a person can be rich spiritually even though he may be poor economically. With this Christ-like mindset, a person is enabled to see clearly spiritually even though he might be blind physically. With this Christ-like mindset, a person is empowered to be extremely strong spiritually, even though he may be weak physically. To live in the invisible is a learned experience. Everybody got that so far? You've got to learn it. It's not something you're just zapped and you got it. It's learned. It calls for practicing in my daily situations to place my faith in what God says in his word about the situation I'm facing, and by faith obey what he says, even though my senses may be sending me contrary messages. This is learning to live in the invisible. By the way, in order for me to actually know what God says about the situation I'm facing, what must be paramount in my life? I got to be in the Word. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by what? That proceeds from the mouth of God. I just highly recommend, if you haven't started, for you to start hiding the Word in your heart. I heard the, the, the precious sister praying um, after the, the meeting, and she quoted Psalms 119.11. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. I was so thrilled. Praise God. Well, we're on the downward stretch. What do I got to practice? Actually practice to learn to live in the invisible. 
by faith. Nobody can make this remember faith and power of choice. Remember that? By faith, choose to begin seeing every circumstances that you face as an opportunity. Look at the circumstances that you are facing in your personal experience as opportunities, not destroying experiences. They're opportunities. Opportunity to actually practice thinking Christ's thoughts regardless of outward appearances and, and uneasy feelings. Remember what Philippians 2.5 says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now, some of you, there might be a pastor here or something. You know, when I took Greek, I learned something interesting. You know, there's, in the, in the English, there's three tenses, past, present, future. In the Greek, there's six tenses. But what's so interesting about the present tense is, and you'll want, those of you who uh, do any morphology or whatever with the, with the word, the present tense means this is a continual experience. Let this mind be in you continually. You know why? Because when I'm practicing something over and over, what am I forming? I'm forming a habit. And that's what God wants. He wants me to be forming habitual mindset of Christ. Number two, practice responding the way Christ did to similar situations he faced. Practice thinking his thoughts and practice responding his ways. Where do you find his ways, his thoughts? In the word of God. But whoso, whoever keeps his word, in him verily is the love of God. By the way, what's the one word that describes God's character? Love. First John 4, 8. This is talking about God's character be, being developed in my life. But whoso keepeth his word in him verily is the love of God, the character of God perfected. Hereby, this is the way we know that we're in him, that we're in Christ. He that says he abides in him ought himself also so to walk even as he walked. Amen? Practice. You know how many places in the Bible that talk about us praying without ceasing? You know what that's talking about? That's not talking about being down on your knees and talking out loud. That's talking about conversing with him in, his mind, in your mind all the time. You know what I'm doing right now? I'm praying for you. Practice talking to God at all times in your mind. Whatever situation you're facing, go to him. Practice that. Develop the habit. Be careful. Be anxious for nothing but in how many things? Everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. If you hear nothing else, this is it. Isaiah 26.3, thou wilt keep him in perfect peace. You, Lord, will keep him or her in perfect peace, who's what? How do I keep my mind stayed in God? thinking his thoughts, talking to him about what he's promised. It's so profoundly simple, sometimes it just flies, pew. But it's extremely valuable. When the trial hits, when the overwhelming surprise hits, and you'll be seeing this in just a minute, when the overwhelming surprise hits, I gotta, I gotta take this. Um, I, my favorite side subject is studying the brain. And I know there's, uh, other doctors, I mean, you know, there's so many more people that know so 
know so much more, but this much I got. In your brain, in the lower brain stem, is um, a, a switching mechanism called the reticular activating system, the RAS. And what it does, it switches off the thinking brain and switches on the animal brain or the, the emotional brain. It switches back and forth. Now, what's so unique about this, RAS, is this. When a surprise, when someone is surprised, something they sense that something's threatening their sense of well-being, immediately the RAS switches off the blood flow, the major portion of the blood flow to the frontal lobe, and kicks in, we call it the stress reaction. When you have your frontal lobe shut off, do you know how you respond to the trial? By habit. The habits that you have formed previous to the trial are the habits that will control your response to the, the trial. I gotta share it right now, you'll see it again. Here it is, Prophets and Kings 626. Christians should be preparing for what is soon to break upon the world as an overwhelming surprise. This preparation they should make in diligently studying the word of God and striving to conform their lives to its precepts. You'll see it again. Make sense, everybody? Say amen if it made sense a little bit. We should be much in secret prayer. Christ is the vine, you are the branches, and if we would grow and flourish, we must continually draw sap and nourishment from the living vine. For separated from the vine, we have no strength. And it's talking about what we're doing in our thinking, my friends. There is no time or place in which it is inappropriate to offer up a petition to God. We may close every door to impure imaginings and unholy thoughts by lifting the soul into the presence of God through sincere prayer. We, did you catch that? You can lift your soul into the very presence of God through sincere prayer. We may keep so near to God that in every unexpected trial, our thoughts will turn to him as naturally as a flower turns to the sun. Satan cannot, what? Cannot overcome him whose heart is thus stayed upon God. Is it a, is it a wonderful thing to develop the habit of prayer? Amen. Last one. Secondary research, by the way, is validating this. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. End result of this type of practice, there it is from Ministry of Healing 491. I love this. And result, the only security in the final scenes of earth's history for any soul is right thinking. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. The power of self-restraint strengthens by exercise that which at first seems difficult by what? Constant repetition. Practice, practice, practice. Training the mind. Practice, practice, practice. Thinking Christ's thoughts, responding Christ's way according to what he shows you from the word. Practice, practice, practice. That which at first seems difficult by constant repetition grows easy until right thoughts and actions become habitual. And once the habit is formed, that part of your life is protected from the enemy. Because the moment the stimulation, the trigger comes, you've got a habit there that just turns you to God. He's lost his power. And habit by habit by habit, 
you are putting a wall of protection around your brain, your life, hid with Christ in God, Colossians chapter 3, 1 through 3. Listen, the Apostle Paul had to learn how to live in the invisible. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I've learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know how to both be abased. You know why he knew it? Because he learned it, just like you and I do. I know how to be abased, know how to abound, and everywhere in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me, and so can you. Guess what? Even Jesus had to learn it. Hebrews 5, 8 and 9. Watch this. I'm going to read this, and I've got a couple of thought questions for you. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Now look at that closely. Here's my question, thought question. I thought Jesus was always obedient. I thought he was always perfect. So what's this talking about? He had to form habits of right living, right thinking, while he was here on earth, to form a character like the one he wants to give you and me. Desire of ages. But Christ coming to the earth as a man lived a holy life, and what? A perfect character. These he offers as a free gift to all who will receive them. The same way he got it. Everybody following? Throughout his life and in his darkest hours, Gethsemane and Calvary, our Savior lived in the invisible, trusting and obeying his Father's will regardless of outward appearances, regardless of what he was feeling, regardless of the outcome to his personal well-being. Christ's call for us, there it is. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Christ's call for us, 21 MR 230, it is by learning what? The habits of Christ. His meekness, his loneliness, that self becomes transformed. And more of self out, more of Christ in, greater freedom, greater peace, greater freedom from fear, greater freedom from anger, unhealthy, rotten, damaging anger that hurts other people besides yourself. More freedom to actually communicate God's character of love to others without any fear whatsoever. Christ's call. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be what? How come? Why is it that we're going to see him as he is? Because we've walked in his moccasins or his sandals. We walked in his footsteps while we were here learning and everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. 
Because dying to the visible and living in the invisible is a learned experience in cooperation with the work of the Holy Spirit. Two things are absolutely necessary. Two things. These are absolutely necessary if anybody wants to be ready to meet the master in peace. I've got a, two things. Ready to move on? Say amen. Exercise the power of choice. And by faith, take time to study God's word. The enemy is working overtime, keeping every one of us at ASI too busy to take time to be alone with the master and his word. But that is no reason for me to not take it. How about you? Study to show yourself approved of God. A workman needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing, understanding and communicating the word of truth. 2 Timothy 2.15. Study to God's word to know him intelligently. Watch this close now. This transforms my motivation for obeying his word. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, By beholding we become changed, but we all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory, the character of the Lord are being changed into the same image from glory to glory, from the old Dan to the new, the old you to the new you, Christ-like you, by the Spirit of God. Changes your motivation. I could roll in that. I'm not, here we go. There it is. By beholding Christ, men become changed into the same image from glory to glory, from character to character. I've got to put this in. Let's see what I've got here. Oh, I'm doing good. Two motivations, dear ones, that move the world in their response to life. And by the way, move a majority of the Christian world. Two motivations. Desire to gain happiness and pleasure. Desire to avoid pain and discomfort. You just think about what motivates you and some of the decisions you made. Oh, this is going to be painful. Uh, or, wow, it's going to make me feel so good. What's going to happen down at the final scenes of Earth's history when the mark of the beast, when we are confronted with decide, obey God or else? You know what they're going to use? Two motivations. Deny God and you can be in a leadership position. Deny God and his truth, or you are gonna suffer some extreme pain. Everybody follow me? Let me ask you, what's the third motivation, the major motivation that God is trying to lead us into that will keep us faithful to the end? Love. The love of Christ constrains us. Second Corinthians 5, 14 through 16. For the love of Christ constrains us. For we thus judge, if one died, then one died for all, then all were all dead. And if one died for all, then we which live should no longer live unto ourselves, but unto him who 
motivation of love, that is the trunk, the powerful thing that will hold us actually when the whole world, the majority of Seventh-day Adventist Christians reject us. Love for the Master. Here's the second one. Willing to earnestly practice God's word to know him experientially. I've got to know him intellectually. I've got to know him experientially. It transforms my responses to life. As I practice God's word, I'm actually learning to know God experientially. It is vital. The Apostle Paul, at the end of his journey, had this testimony. Notice this. And here's my question. Was this was this intellectual, experiential, or was it just factual? No, 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 wrong term. Uh, blot that one out. For the which cause I also suffer these things, nevertheless I am not ashamed, for I what? I know in whom I have believed and am persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Why was he able? Because he knew him. Experientially, intellectually. There it is again. How do we practice God's word? In every situation we face, regardless of outward appearances, regardless of what we are feeling, regardless of what we perceive the outcome to be, we must consistently practice thinking Christ's thoughts, responding Christ's way. There it is in a nutshell. I think I'm done. If you don't mind me reading one more, though. If we would live a true Christian life, the conscience must be quickened by what? How do you have constant contact with the Word of God? Carrying my Bible around like this with the mic? Wow. Sure. Isn't that a neat idea? I was, I was so great uh, for Brother, was it Kulikov's? Writing the whole Bible out. You, you know, before Christ comes, it'll never happen, but I'm determined to at least memorize a lot of it. How about you? That's the only way I can stay quickened. All the precious things which at infinite cost God has provided for us will do us no good. They cannot strengthen us and produce spiritual growth unless we appropriate them. We must eat the word of God and make it a part of ourselves. Amen? There it is. Prophets and Kings 6.26. There it is. I, I quoted it for you, but there it is. Christians should be preparing for what is soon to break upon the world as an overwhelming surprise. This preparation they should make by diligently studying the word of God and striving to conform their lives to its precepts. God calls for a revival and reformation. Can I go on? I don't know where each one of you are at right now in your experience. Some of you may be experiencing pain 
bodily pain, that does not mean that God is punishing you. It means he is drawing you into a more intimate experience with him, giving you the opportunity to triumph in trial and practice living in the invisible. Some of you may have recently experienced incredible loss. Maybe you're in the process right now of experiencing incredible loss. That doesn't mean God is mad at you, that he doesn't care for you. It means you have the opportunity to enter a more intimate experience with him. Examine your thoughts and responses in the light of his thoughts and ways and practice living in the invisible triumphing in this trial. You may be experiencing human rejection right now, maybe from your own church. You know, Jesus experienced that, didn't he? That doesn't mean God has rejected you. It means you have the opportunity to check out your thinking with his word, making sure that your thoughts are in harmony with his thoughts, and then like Jesus, live in the invisible triumphing in trial. And all along your journey of practicing in every situation you face, remember the heavenly reality Paul conveyed to the Corinthian believers. Mark this one, dear ones. Mark it. Every person that Patsy and I have visited with, I can say this has been something that has been a, a, just a beautiful, encouraging revelation to them. Paul talking to the Corinthian believers about doing what they said they were going to do for the saints in Jerusalem who were struggling from famine, from dearth. This is what he told them. Now, therefore, perform the doing of it. Do what you said you were going to do. That is, there was a readiness to will, you were ready and willing to do it, so there may be a performance also out of what? Performance out of what? out of what you have. It is not how buff you are. It's not how gorgeous you are physically. It's not how intelligent you are, how many PhDs you've got behind your name. It's not how weak you are. None of that. Are you responding to the wooing of the Spirit of God and responding to life situations with what you have? And look what's important to God. For if there be first a what? It is accepted according to the man that a man hath and not according to what he hath not. Don't compare yourself to anyone else. Settle in your mind that you're going to take time to know the master. Time in the word. And respond to what he teaches you and start practicing, thinking his thoughts, whatever situation you face during the day. Practice responding his ways. And know that what God is looking for is that willing mind. Lord, I'm going to do the best I can with what I've got. Amen. Here's a statement. My Life Today, page 250. When it is in the heart to obey God, when efforts are put forth to this end, Jesus accepts this disposition and effort as man's what? Your best service. And he makes up for the deficiency with what? You don't have to worry about performance. You've got to be willing.
just like a little child, just learning how to walk. You know, Lord, I haven't been taking time in the Word like I should. I'm going to start taking time to behold your character, think about you. I don't know much, but I trust your Spirit to teach me. And I'm going to do the best I can with a willing mind to practice what you're teaching me. When my boys were little, they're not little anymore. <laughs> Remember them learning how to walk. Some of you are parents, you probably can relate to this. First time a little boy wants to walk. And he sees daddy walking. And he pulls himself up on the edge of the couch. Stands there, wobbly little bowed legs. Does daddy go over and kick him and say, oh, you're, never, you're no good, you'll never make it? Not at all. Daddy says, oh, that was wonderful. Good job. Good job. Come on. Let me help you out. Come on. Come on. Come on. Take another step. So my boy takes another step. Wow. Now he takes another one. Plop. Anybody had any plops lately? there may be a performance out of what you have. For if there first be a willing mind, it's accepted according to what a man has. Start taking those baby steps. Just understand God has made provision for the plops. 1 John 2, 1. And when you plop, immediately confess it to God, get right back up and start practicing what you know to be God's will for your life. Keep practicing. Guess what's happening in your brain? You're forming a new habit. And as you continue to practice, practice the new way. Practice, practice. You know what happens? The day comes when that new neural pathway, the new brain map, that's the buzzword these days, the new brain map gets stronger and stronger until finally, because you haven't been using the old one very much and you've been practicing the new one, the new one's getting stronger, the old one's getting weaker, and the day comes the day comes when this new brain map, this new habit pattern is so much stronger than the old one that it's natural for you to walk like Danny walks. And you would have to de determinedly decide, choose to go back to the old way in order for this to happen again, even though it's still there. Everybody following? This is so exciting. Praise God. It's victory. Time for us to wake up and rejoice in the incredible victory Christ is offering us. Take time in the word of God. Rejoice in basking and studying the life of Christ, knowing the spirit of God is doing something for you that no human being in the entire world, no psychologist, no psychiatrist, no doctor can do for you. Amen? He's leading you into living in the invisible, the life everlasting that really is everlasting. I want to close here and uh, open the floor up for questions. I know that I ran through a whole bunch of material there. Um, I, I, they're videoing it, that sort of thing. But uh, understand and know that Patsy and I are open. We'll be at the booth, the Black Hills booth. If anybody have questions, you want um, 
ask us about anything, feel free to do that. Anybody have any questions right now? Any questions at all that came to mind? Go ahead. Um, I came out of the entertainment business. Um, when my dad died when I was 19, I was raised on, my dad was a horse trainer, and uh, we, we lived on the road, trained horses for a living, and traveled rodeoed, and uh, when he died when I was 19, um, I got in the wrong group, and I had been playing guitar, and uh, got hired as a bass player and a lead singer for fairly well-known rock group in the Midwest, and we, I spent years traveling with them. Ended up in LA uh, to work my way into the film industry, and uh, while I was there, the Bible that my parents gave me um, as a young child was in my suitcase. Um, and I'm getting to the answer, by the way. And one evening, came home from Film Actors Workshop. I was actually being screen tested. Things were actually going fairly well. Understanding when I was, I was in Hollywood why there were about 500,000 people with their Screen Actor Guild cards. You know, their, their uh, uh, what do they call those? Uh, union cards. And only about two to 3,000 of those people were working regularly in the industry. Everybody else was kicking to try and survive for that one big part. I came home from Film Actors Workshop one evening and just was empty inside. And uh, you understand, I was not Christian at all. In fact, I made my living making fun of Christians. Um, I sat down and there that Bible was sitting on the, uh, the table. And I looked at it, <laughs> looked at it again, picked it up, opened it up, and it opened up somewhere in the Gospels. And I talked to the ceiling and I said, God, if you're really real, you've got a better plan for my life that I've been able to come up with, I'm ready to listen. And the more I read about the man Jesus, the more convicted I became. And I read, and I read, and I read. And uh, when it came to him hanging on the cross, and he said those words, Lord, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, the lights came on. And I knew that he was doing it for me. He was dying for me. And that broke me. It just broke me. It made sense. And I fell on my face, no lights or anything, just fell on my face and just weeping and said, God, if you'll have me back, I just want to follow you. And that was the beginning of my journey. Now you understand that I was living in the middle of Hollywood, I had a filthy, filthy, filthy mouth. And uh, I was in love with Jesus. He'd forgiven me. <laughs> I was I was free. But I know that, and I just started going to any church that had a gospel light out. You know, I didn't care what denomination, I was just going. And I'd sit in the pew and I'd weep uncontrollably. People thought I was crazy. Here's this bald guy with a Fu Manchu sitting in the middle of Hollywood, just weeping his heart out. And you know, people. Um, but when they talked to me, I, I know I just embarrassed a ton of people in churches because I was using explicitives to describe my relationship with Jesus. That's all I had. It was a habit. Are you following? Somewhere down the road, after several months uh, of just making people <laughs> very embarrassed, 
I read in James chapter 3 about the fact that uh, the tongue is a fire. And blessing and cursing ought not to come out to, of the same aperture. <laughs> and the conviction came. At that moment, the Spirit of God was speaking to me and calling me to repentance in that area. He knew that my faith was strong enough at that point where I could actually respond and surrender and put off the old and put on the new. And that's when I began the journey of developing a new habit. Now let me ask you a question. Do you suppose that I had the victory over that um, a day later? A week later? A month later? A year later? Nope. But it was getting better. Because like that little child, remember my voice, remember I was taking steps. And I became sensitive to what the Spirit of God was doing for me. And of course, there were times when I would plop, I'd get up and I'd say, oh God, I'm sorry, please forgive me. And I started apologizing to people for the words I was using and just, but I kept practicing. Guess what? I got a new habit. And now instead of cursing, that's it. Other questions? But you've got to continue in the word. That's what Jesus was talking about in John 8, 31 and 32, when he's talking to the Jews that believed on it. If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall what? Make you free. And that sets you free. Yeah, absolutely. Other questions before we have prayer? Got to shut down. You've been very kind. Thank you so much. And uh, again, feel free to approach Patsy and me, uh, whatever, if you have questions. Um, I, it's just been a privilege to spend time with you. And remember this. When it is in the heart to obey God, when efforts are put forth to this end, Jesus accepts this disposition and effort as man's what? Best service. And he makes up for the deficiency with his own divine merit. Shall we pray? Thank you, Father, for these precious moments we've had together. I cannot do a thing for anybody else's heart, including my own. But I'm asking that you would just labor with the hearts of my dearly beloved here, your, your children, your precious treasures. Labor with my heart. Fill us with hope and a determination to actually practice living in the invisible, just like the Apostle Paul, just like Jesus, and trust that you're doing your special work of transforming our lives and preparing us to stand faithful and true like our master. Thank you. Please bless my dear brothers and sisters here. Give them encouragement. Give them hope, Father. And draw us all to know you from your word. In Jesus' name. This media was produced by Audioverse for ASI, Adventist Layman's Services and Industries. If you would like to learn more about ASI, please visit www.asiministries.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.